on 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I'm Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I'm relatively certain after watching The Dark Crystal that the main way that the Skeksis demonstrated their superiority over the Gelflings is by making their entire face move when they talked. <laughs> Poor Gelflings. Oh. Just like Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> what? Your whole face moves when you talk, too. And when you play video games. Yeah, I was going to say, it's more when I'm playing video <laughs> games than anything. <laughs> I can feel myself doing it when I'm sitting alone, you know, playing Xbox all by myself. I can feel my face going. (laughs) (laughs) Your jaw hinges. Yep. (laughs) I make a lot of weird faces when I'm playing video games, gentlemen. (laughs) You make a lot of weird faces in general, really. That's true. Uh, If you like weird faces, you might (laughs) like the shows on the Podcast Collective. Oh, do tell. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the best one I've gotten in months. (laughs) Wait, but if they like faces, why are they listening to podcasts? Because we got faces for radio. Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll yeah, t- you tried a podcast without a face. <laughs> 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 I'm so slim. I got no face. The show's on the podcast collective, such as no I, am, I Am Salt Lake. Tales from the Hard Side, the Empty Rant Podcast, the Portland Beer Club Podcast, and of course the Rad Dad Radio Hour. I got a Jimmy No Face. Is that our new character, Jimmy No Face? Oh shit, I'm crying. If you're looking for our older stuff, oh, shit. Oh, iTunes, <laughs> Podverse FM, Podchaser, go on there, leave us some reviews. <laughs> we have new followers on Podchaser. So I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> we have lost Pat. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm not far behind. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm, I'll fix it in post. Don't worry. Yep, yep. <laughs> Are you really fine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so oh, angry man. that he has no face. <laughs> well, wouldn't you be? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. It's, not, ex- it's not acceptable. Maybe sure. you'll get one for Christmas. Oh, man. <laughs> Merry Christmas, baby. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And if you're looking uh, to give us a call, let us know what's going on. Give us uh, ideas for podcasts. Give us give us some tops. Are we making everything nowadays? That we are like swimming very true. in topics. Yeah. Give us a call. That's 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Call us. It rings Josh's phone, actually, so you guys it should does. know. Do that. It rings my browser. <laughs> So if I have my email open, occasionally I'll panic. <laughs> Here we go. It Ring, rings his brow. That is a sentence that would blow somebody's mind from the 60s right there. Right. It rings my browser. So if I have my email open, what? Yeah. That Chuck, you got to hear this. <laughs> this guy took the brown acid. <laughs> is it about that time? It's about that time. Play the music. I am playing the music. My computer is really slow. This week. 
music, <laughs> movies, and TV, <laughs> and sports. Oh, shit. Fuck it, let's go. Oh, man. Who needs music? I'm leaving this in, gentlemen. <laughs> The week is December seventeenth, nineteen eighty-two. Wait, that was what? Not. It's gonna come off like halfway through the tweet, isn't it? <laughs> the little circle is still spinning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going, run with it. Music, Joel, go. All right. The number one song in the land was "Man Eater" by Hollow Notes, which knocked off Mickey by Tony Basil. Basil. What? Basil? Is that Basil. what you said? Basil Rathbone. Basil. Tony Basil. 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 Spice. Uh, Here it comes. <laughs> no, no. The better of the two, I would go with Hall Notes 100% of the time. I don't know about this. I, I, huh. The song Maneater, I think, is like their weakest song, personally. What? I mean, yeah. I like both of those songs, but this is like the battle of the middle of the barrel. <laughs> yeah. So, Patrick, what is the if better song? Yellow Dashed Lines had a of fight. Of those two songs, what is the better song? No, what's the better Hollow Notes song? Oh, uh, rich, rich, rich Girl is probably their best song, or You Make My Dreams Come True, but Rich Girl, I think, is their best song. Oh, I, I think I'm going to have to go with Mike on this, that it, Maneater's ahead by, like, a nose. Mm. Mm. I'm not a fan of Maneater. Yeah, it's, better than, it's better than Private Eyes, though. Oh, oh I like on. Private Eyes. I don't like Private Eyes. I think there's a video more that I hated on Private Eyes. Private Eyes. You are not a fan of Big Band Boom? That was the album that Private Eye. Okay, anyway. I like Hollow Notes. Yeah. My, my mother used to think they were called Hollow Notes. <laughs> She's not uh, wrong, I guess. I got nothing for that, really. Yeah. All right, so uh, David Cook, winner of the seventh season of American Idol, was born in Houston, Texas. Really 20th. digging for it this time. <laughs> yeah. Big yep. week for music, I see. Yes. Good on his mom. And finally, the most successful group of the 1970s, ABBA, released their final original single, Under Attack, on December 13th. A split was never officially announced, yet they never recorded another album together again. I don't think I know that song. Me either. Hmm. Well, I, I guess that's why they called it quits. Yeah. Yeah. Three quarters dead, so. They're under attack. <laughs> that's, no, that, that's a different person altogether. That's you know what? A it's a different person. Uh, only I, me? Uh, yeah, you're the only one that came along with me. No. All right, let's see. Let's see. Under attack. It's got 70s pacing. Yeah, it does. I, okay. I yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I got nothing on this. If someone had asked me to imagine the song that killed Abba, that would have been <laughs> the song I was imagining. Yeah. I, give that, I give that zero out of five meatballs. Indeed. Is that a rating? In Sweden, it is. It is now. For oh. sure. With lingonberries. All right. <laughs> movies. The number one movie in the land was The Toy, starring Richard Pryor, which was knocked off by Tootsie. That's a weird time. It really was. It's like those two movies are not being remade today. <laughs> no. Especially the toy. Yeah. 
Holy crap. <laughs> Kevin Hart's like, just... you want me to do what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move on from that. Uh, movies released this week included Honky Tonk Man, Best Friends, a re-release of Peter Pan, Six Weeks, Tootsie, and Trail of the Pink Panther. We got to do a Pink Panther show. I don't know. I thought they redid one a couple of years did. ago, didn't they? Yeah. Steve Martin, Steve Martin and it was yeah. not good. Yeah. Hmm. There was two. There's something about the, the Pink Panther movies. It's like my family and I will get to, we, we have a box set of Same. every Pink Panther movie made. Huh. And no matter what, we will always grab the same movie. We'll, we could blindly pull it, and it's going to be the same one. It's going to be the one where he has the nose where it melts. Yes. Yeah, a great balls of fire sale. Does he have yeah. a bang? Yeah. But, but one of my favorite lines of, of all time, though, uh, is uh, when, when he's putting on, I think it's in the movie, the shot, A Shot in the Dark, and he's putting on the, uh, he's, he's, he's admiring the, the, the armor, the suit of armor, and he ends up with the mace on his hand. <laughs> and, he, and he smashes the piano to bits accidentally. And the lady's like, that's a priceless Steinway. Nothing, Nothing more. <laughs> All right, moving on. Charlie Thomas Cox, born December 15th, is an English actor. He's mostly known for his role as Matt Murdock slash Daredevil in Daredevil and the Defenders. And he also appeared in Stardust, The Theory of Everything, and Boardwalk Empire. I gotta say, Daredevil is a great show. It was. Most of it was really, really good, especially the first season. Mm-hmm. I just like his portrayal of Matt Murdock. For it. sure. He did a great job on that. Yeah. All right. So TV top shows in the land were 60 minutes, Dallas Magnum PI and mash. It's a good lineup. Pretty it is a good lineup. Is it? You know, you can get official Magnum PI Hawaiian shirts, but do you want to? Do people really go around checking the tag for that though? Does it come with a mustache? Why would you not? I find that just a standard Hawaii shirt is enough to get called Magnum no. PI half the time. No, it's got to be it's got to be the red one with the white flowers. Yeah, I have one, but it's not like a official Magnum PI one, but still get the reference. I mean, maybe 10 years ago. Now it's more like Homer Simpson's big fat party animal. <laughs> and where's that cake? <laughs> uh on December 11th, ESPN broadcasts its first live college football game. Simulcasting the Independence Bowl matchup between Kansas State University and the University of Wisconsin. Ah, I see sports is bleeding over into TV. That's how little info there was for everything else and how much there was for sports. You didn't give yourself enough sports. You had to throw some into the other categories, too. My God, there's so much sports. (laughs) Two shows debuted this week, Powerhouse and Starcade, while two others were canceled. Lou Grant, and the acronym of the week, which is S-D-A-S-D. Which I'm pretty sure stands for Small Dicks Are Sad Dicks. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong! The show about midget detectives. <laughs> oh my god, Jimmy No-Face also has a small dick? How does he know? <laughs> I suppose he could reach down there, yeah. <laughs> I'm sad. But how does he know what a big dick look, or looks like? Or, you know, I guess he can feel those too. I was going to say, other people don't measure them with their mouths, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> but you do measure with your... Never, you know, no, I'm, I'm censoring myself. <laughs> All right. To bring us back to to True North here, Starcade was this shit. I love Starcade. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo was the acronym. Oh, yeah. Which is that? 
pretty Which close. deserves to be canceled. Indeed. Yes. I would much rather watch... But Starcade was amazing. I don't remember Powerhouse, though. I remember Lou Grant, Scooby-Doo, Scrappy-Doo, and Starcade, but I don't remember Powerhouse. Yeah, I don't remember Powerhouse either. That That is the only one of the four I don't know either. Same. Pow, pow, powerhouse, pow, pow, I'm looking at Powerhouse. I, I don't think that's how it went. It was a, it was a, a knockoff of Electric Company. Ah. That's my, that's my guess. <laughs> Each Powerhouse episode dealt with significant personal issues that affected both kids and teenagers, such as alcoholism, peer pressure, physical fitness, and more. Having that's no faith. Strange. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How do you deal with it, Jimmy? <laughs> Alcoholism. Jimmy found his face. Any Jimmy found a face. <laughs> Episode oh. list with a little help from my friends, part one and part two. Life or breath. Episode number five, you make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> the 40 going on 14 story. Episode number 15, fit to be tied. And episode number... What the hell? Hey, episode number 16, The Short Life of Lolo Nope. <laughs> what? Is that Leslie's cousin? Apparently. Oh, my God. I'm still dying at <laughs> 40 going on 14 tagline. 40 going on 14, colon, you make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> this week on Power Outs. That's, that's the title of our, our autobiography. <laughs> you make me sick. <laughs> All right, and finally for TV, John Randolph Jack Webb was an American actor, television producer, director, and screenwriter who is most famous for his role as Sergeant Joe Friday in the Dragnet franchise, which he created. Oh. He was the founder of his own production company, Mark 7 Limited. <laughs> he darred, died of a heart attack at 62 on December 23rd. You did Roman numerals on the fly right there. Like that? Yeah, I've been practicing. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Hold on, let me see. I want to see how much there is. Oh, God, Patrick. All right. Um, Buckle up, people. I don't know why I did this to myself. What did you do? There's a lot to to go through here. Oh, boy. December 12th. (laughs) (laughs) Shut shut up, Jimmy. (laughs) December 12th was one of the most infamous games in NFL history, the Snowplow game. A snowstorm held a game between the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins scoreless. When the clock was about to run out, New England coach Ron Meyer ordered one of the field crew members, Mark Henderson, a convict on work release, to clear a path for the kicker John Smith's field goal attempt, which won the game for the Patriots 3-0. That name again is the snowplow game. <laughs> so he, he said, okay, clear a path so we can win. Yeah. Dick move. Yep. Can I can I just jump in here real quick? And we actually have a comment about the mime show on Podchaser. What? Yeah. What? So Voodoo Stevie, uh, a great contribution of discussions about pop culture and American culture, comparing the old and new is just plain great. I've been a fan for a long time now, and not a single show has really disappointed me. Well, except for the prank they pulled with the mime show. You got me, damn it. I sat listening to Dead Air for about five minutes before I was wondering if my phone messed up or the file was corrupted. <laughs> I wasn't really disappointed in them, as I was with myself for falling of the daddest of the dad jokes. <laughs> All four are funny in their own rights or minds, but if you're already subscribed to their show, if if you are all, all if you are already subscribed to the show, you are messing up. Kind of fell through in the end there. 
I think I think he was drinking as he typed that. You make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Voodoo Stevie. Yeah, and yeah. we're glad you enjoyed the show. I hope you stuck around because there was more content. Yeah, you didn't get to the bonus track. Yeah, there was additional content. It wasn't just silence the entire show. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty pleased with that episode. Yeah. <laughs> you do get rewarded if you sit through the whole thing. Still better than Peter Pan. <sighs> we don't speak of Peter Pan. I just did. That's for show 400, the redo of Peter Pan. No. no I'm gonna let No, I mean redo the whole thing. Like, I'm going to get a colonoscopy and everything. <laughs> I got to beat. I'm already drunk. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Born December 17th, Josh Barfield was an MLB baseball player for four years for the Cleveland, Cleveland Indians. He is the son of former MLB home run champ Jesse Barfield. And really, kind of, kind of selfishly, the only reason I wrote that in there was so I could brag on the fact that my family is uh, friends with Jesse Barfield. What? Not yeah. the Jesse Barfield. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like... I mean, it's a. If I was lying, it would be the perfect lie because he's so obscure of a celebrity that like nobody would be like, "Why did you pick him?" You know? Yeah, he he was. Uh, my my father uh, met him and they became friends, and we kind of hung out with their family for a couple years. It's not like you know we hang out anymore or anything, but we were friends with them for a while. But it's just yeah. obscure enough that nobody would look at him up and be like, "Oh wait." Yeah, I mean he's a, I mean he's a real dude. Yeah, Jesse Barfield. So I know. I like how you quantify that. He's a real dude. Really yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not crazy. It's like, <laughs> well, we believe he exists. Whether <laughs> we believe you know him or not, well, we don't actually care. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on, Maurice Mo Williams, born December 19th, is a former MDA basketball player who played 13 seasons after being selected by the Utah Jazz in the 2003 draft. Throughout his career, he played for the Milwaukee Bucks, the LA Clippers, the Portland Trailblazers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, Charlotte Hornets, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. In 2009, Williams was selected as an NBA All-Star. In 2016, he won his first NBA championship with the Cavaliers. In a strange coincidence, my family doesn't know Mo Williams at all. You motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just famous enough that we believe that. Oh, uh, I hate you guys. <laughs> All right, and here is uh, the the book I'm going to be reading, our cricket fact of the week. Oh, here we go. Mohammed Asif was born December 20th. He is a controversial Pakistani cricketer who played for the Pakistani national cricket team before getting banned for spot fixing in the 2010 spot fixing scandal. Oh, I remember that. Exactly. Asif has played first-class cricket for Khan Research Labs, the National Bank. <laughs> no, different con. Different con. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hurry, my bomb. <laughs> Sorry, right, Jimmy. Oh, man. Why couldn't they have blown his ears off, too? <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, no, different. Di- I was talking about a different Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> the National Bank. Keta or Queta? I don't know how to pronounce that. Shikupura. Siakolat. And Leicestershire. A.A. Ron. <laughs> he made his test match debut for the Pakistani cricket team against Australia in January 2005. In 2006, Asif was involved in his first controversy after he tested positive for anabolic steroid Nandrolone, leading to the imposition of a ban which was later overturned on appeal. 
Further cricket controversy followed when he was detained in Dubai, suspected of having drugs on his person, and was then later found to have tested positive for a banned substance during the Indian Premier League. In 2010, Asif was ranked second leading test bowler, just behind Dale Stein. That Dale Stein, yes. Oh. oh. In July 10th, Asif took his 100th test wicket in only his 20th match. He also jointly holds the test record with five consecutive ducks. An, unfor- <laughs> an unfortunate honor he shares with Bob Holland and Ajit Agarkar. Apart from his ability to swing the ball both ways, he was known for his beautiful action. <laughs> a lazy action. <laughs> a lazy action and then a leap. His bowling was lethal in all formats. <laughs> in August t- 2010, he was accused by News of the World of deliberately bowling no balls in return for payment from a betting syndicate. In February of 2011, a three-man tribunal appointed by the ICC gave the verdict that he was to be banned for seven years, with two of those suspended if no further offenses were committed. In November 2011, Asif was convicted, along with Salman Butt and (laughs) Mohammed Amir, of conspiracy charges related to spot-fixing. On November 3, 2011, Asif was given a one-year prison sentence for his role in the scandal. On August 19, 2015, the ICC suspended its previous orders and allowed Asif to play all formats of the game, and he is back to playing cricket again. Anybody know him? Friends with him? Yeah. Shut up, you dickholes. <laughs> so I'm, I looked this up, and there was actually a Wikipedia on the Pakistan cricket spot-fixing scandal. Oh, my goodness. So. Undercover reporters from News of the World secretly videotaped Mazir Mahid accepting money and informing the reporters that fast bowlers Asif and Amir would deliberately bowl no balls at specific points in an over. This information could be used by gamblers to place bets with inside information, i.e. spot fixing, in response to these allegations. Ready for this? Scotland Yard arrested Mahid on a charge of match-fixing. The International Cricket Council banned three players, Salomon Butt, Muhammad Asif, and Muhammad Amir, for terms between five and ten years. In November 2011, Butt and Asif were found guilty by a London court on criminal charges relating to spot-fixing. Amir and Mahid had entered guilty pleas in the same charges, and all fours were given prison sentences ranging from six months to 32 months. Goddamn. It's a big deal, apparently. Apparently, spot fixing, but salmon spot, fi- spot fixing your butt with salmon. Well, who doesn't smoke salmon? I think we've run out of butt jokes. Steam was the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> that was close. <laughs> All right. Take us out. Keyboard, Joel. No, 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 no. All right, so back in 1982, Jim Henson and Frank Oz said, hey, what's something we can create that'll scare the ever-loving shit out of every child that loves the Muppets? And they came up with the Dark Crystal. This is 1982 on another planet, on another planet, in a distant past. Gelfling embarks on a quest to find the missing shard of a magical crystal and so restore order to this world. Let's hear it for the crystal meth. I remember Heisenberg being in this. 
No, no, no. Uh, the band. Oh. Oh yeah. The uh, the crystal by Crystal Meth. There's a song about crystal. The 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 dark crystal by Crystal yeah. Method. Yeah. So this is oh. directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Uh, writing credits by Dave O'Dell. Uh, who is known for such things as the Dark Crystal, Masters of the Universe, The Muppet Show, and Supergirl. Well, hmm. that's some decent credit. Yeah. Up until that last one right there. <laughs> oh, Supergirl's. Yeah, I was going to say that most of the world disagrees with you on that. No, 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 no. The old, the movie Supergirl. Oh, oh. Not, the, not the show. Okay. Not, yeah, no. not the show. Yeah. I was like, what? That is a weird flex. <laughs> <laughs> the um wow. was who who was in that was that the Helen uh, Slater oh Helen Slater played yeah it's even worse than what I was thinking I was thinking I like it Helen was Alicia Silverstone yeah no that girl Helen Slater yeah, away the biggest thing was like the the poster the she's flying past the Statue of Liberty and the Statue of Liberty is holding up the torch in the wrong hand and I think Christopher Reeve shows up too at one point. I mean, here's the thing, though. This movie, Faye Dunaway, Helen Slater, Peter O'Toole, Mia Farrow, Peter Cook. It should have been a lot better than, it. again, some of the parts. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. For another show. We should do that show, by the way. We should. Add that to uh, the list, somebody. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so, yes. Cast in order. Verified as complete. Jim Henson, uh, who did the voice of Jen. A Gelfling, the High Priest, and the Ritual Master. Catherine Mullen as Kira, a Gelfling. Uh, you may know her as doing the voice of everything from Moki Fraggle. Please tell me you remember who Moki Fraggle is. Was he the one that really liked coffee? She was the one that had long sweater on. Have you never seen Fraggle Rock? No. What? Uh, like a bit here and there but no not yeah i like i've seen i mean i'm familiar i've I've, i know the theme song i've seen an episode here i could have sworn we'd gone over this before that uh pat was into fraggle rock i know there's a there's dozer right yeah there's dozers those are little little builder guys anyway i was all about fraggle rock but she also played camilla the assistant on the movie frank oz we all know who he is uh he played agra the keeper of secrets and the chamberlain Goals, G-O-E-L-Z, uh, played Fizgig, a friendly monster, and the General and Gartham Master. Mm. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for some other stuff that he has done, he also did the voice of the great Gonzo in the Muppet movie. Goals, goalie, goalie, goals. Yes, so Stephen Garlic did the voice of Jen. <laughs> I didn't notice that was his last name until you read it. And I was like, did he make a mistake? I'm, nope, his name's actually Garlic. Yep. He did Jen in the Dark Crystal and uh, did some stuff in Doctor Who in 1983 afterwards. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Maxwell, actress who did the voice of Kira. Uh, again. And we also have Billy Whitelaw, who did the voice of Agra. Percy Edwards, who did the voice of Fizgig. Ah! Yeah, there you go. We got Percy Edwards on the show. <laughs> uh, Barry Denon, who did the voice of the Chamberlain. 
and uh, Podlings. Uh, Barry Denon also <laughs> was, this is really kind of wacky. Um, he did the voice, he was Pontius Pilate in the theater, in the movie version of Jesus Christ Superstar and Mendel in Fiddler on the Roof and Josh. He did the voice of Fat Man from Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty. Oh, okay. Yep. Fat so Man. Fat, fat, fat. But he's also <laughs> done uh, World of Warcraft songs in Worlds of Draenor and uh, Legion. He's all a uh, voice. Currently, Lego Marvel superheroes. He does the voice of the Mandarin. So, huh. okay. Big old voice actor. Uh, the general was played by Michael Kilgraf. Yeah, Kilgraf, uh, who did the voice of him and also did the voice of Oblix in the 12 Tasks of Asterix. And it looks like he's a Cyberman, or he was. Yeah. He was also a Cyberman and was in Taxi. That's a Mondanation. Not the Taxi that we know of. Mondanation Cyberman. Yeah. Last thing he did was 2014. He did the voice of a blacksmith in Dark Souls 2. Lots of voice actors in a puppet show. Who knew? Imagine that. I know, right? (laughs) Who would have thought? Uh, Last of all, High Priest in The Dying Emperor was played by Jerry Nelson. Uh, who also did Floyd Pepper, who does the voice. I didn't know his last name was Pepper, who did the voice of Flo, uh, Floyd from uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem in the Muppets. Oh, yeah. Holy <laughs> cats. This dude, Floyd. He does the voice of Floyd, the two-headed monster, hairy monster, and the count. Ah, ah, ah. That was the worst count. Ever. I know. I, I didn't know where I was <laughs> yeah. going, and then I just kind of happened there. I didn't was, realize that was an impression of the count until you pointed it out. That's how bad that impression was. <laughs> One. Oh, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, what oh. was that noise he just made? Jerry Lewis. <laughs> uh, so, Three, lady. What, that was Woody oh. Allen doing Jerry Lewis. Doing the count. <laughs> That's a three-way I don't want to be a part of. Wow, this is the weirdest orgy ever. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> even sure who that was. <laughs> that, was that was Rip Taylor, R.I.P. <laughs> anyway, just from the I, sidelines, I, commentating, throwing confetti. Oh, just for the back down. This is the, I finally loaded, the um, Crystal Method, the tech. <laughs> Techno band, hang on. Christ, you wish to go back in the conversation? I do. It's going to be this week. I was just thinking. I'm like, anyway, so Crystal Method did a whole song that uses sound clips from uh, Dark Crystal. Oh, okay, cool. The the track is called Trip Like I Do. Oh, okay. I know that's all. Yeah. So, uh, trivia Jim Henson's plan with this movie was to get back to the darkness of the original's brother Grim Fairy Tales. He, le- he felt that children liked the idea of being scared, and this was the healthy emotion that for them to which to wait. That's a weird sentence. He felt that children liked the idea of being scared, and this and that this was a healthy emotion for them with which to deal. Yeah, that is a very who wrote? Uh, yeah, it's an awkward way to say that. I mean, yeah, I get what he's correct. Yeah. So Jim Henson thought that kids could be scared more often. It was good for them. Yeah, that makes. Uh, I and it wasn't a bad disagree. thing for kids to deal with fear. And I have to agree with him on this because I scare the shit out of my niece as much as possible. Well, I remember seeing this movie in the Ogden Six Theater 
and being scared shitless in it in 1983. <laughs> I was 11 years old, and the, the Chamberlain scared the ever-loving piss out of me. Mm. Yeah. Our, our, it, it, very few movies do I remember going to the theater to see, and this and like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Wars are all in the same bucket on this one. Hmm. So good yeah. I went to the theater to see this one as well. I was excited for this. This always... I was too, because I was like, "Oh man, it's like swords and sorcery, fantasy stuff." Jim Henson, it's the Muppets, and oh my god, why does that guy keep whining at me? Why is whining scary? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they eating for five minutes? <laughs> Why is everything they eat have to be alive when they eat it? Uh, and gooey. So uh, early drafts of the script featured Jen and Kira traveling through the underworld, where they encountered a race of underground mining creatures. Oh. This concept was later integrated into Fraggle Rock as the Doozers. There you go. That's cool. That is cool. What if we turn down the frightening just a little bit? <laughs> Uh, although there are nine of them, the Skeksis were originally based on the Seven Deadly Sins. I thought that was interesting since we just talked about that for the Haunting and Phil House show. Yeah. Back a few episodes ago. Conceptual designer Brian Frode was behind the look and feel of virtually every aspect of the production, from creatures to landscapes right down to the font of the opening title. In total, it took up five years of his life. That's commitment. That is the most, I, I try to think about what have I done in the last five years? And I'll tell you, it wasn't the Dark Crystal. <laughs> God damn it. Talented dwarf actors, Mike Edmonds, Deep Roy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Deep mm-hmm. freaking Roy. Jack Purvis, <laughs> Malcolm Dixon, and others were used for the shots where the characters were seen walking, picking up objects, climbing and running, in which they were dressed as the characters in the movie. Yeah, I saw that, and I'm like, I got to include that, because we all know Deep Roy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jim Henson offered 22-year-old puppeteer Kevin Clash a job on this movie, but since Clash was busy with Captain Kangaroo and the Great Space Coaster, he had to turn it down. Great choice there, Kevin Wait, Clash. Captain Kangaroo was still running? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that as a kid. Wow, I don't at all. Yeah, I did too. What? Yeah, Captain Kangaroo was around, uh, it says 1955 to 1992. Of course, I was very loyal to Mr. Rogers. See, I was a Mr. Rogers loyalist also. Yeah. I mean, they didn't make you choose. Mr. Rogers oh, never <laughs> would make you choose. <laughs> I chose anyway. Yeah, Mr. Rogers really kind of like made did make me choose. He was like, "Hey, welcome to Neverland." Alice. I felt like if I if I watched anyone else, it would have been cheating on Mr. Rogers. And you don't disappoint. I don't think he would have minded. I just Captain Kangaroo and Great Space Coaster. And nevertheless, Clash afterwards became a regular member of Henson's puppeteer team, performing in several productions of his, notably as Bum 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 Elmo. that's where i knew that name i was wondering why i knew that name he would later work as a puppeteer on dark crystal age of resistance the movie's prequel sequel series yeah they did a whole documentary on kevin clash and then sex scandal came out yeah which he got vindicated from yep and here he is back doesn't matter anyway oh is he back is that what you said 
Yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's back doing stuff. And and this when I saw the documentary on the the new one, I was like, oh hey, it's Kevin Clash. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, I didn't know he was. That's interesting. That is interesting in a way. Como likes Kevin Clash. I'm amazed at the fact that Captain Kangaroo was around from '55 to 1992. That's insane. Well, obviously longer than that. Or is that? Did you look it up? Is that what it? No, I, I looked it up. Nineteen fifty-five to nineteen ninety-two. Damn, I know, right? He should have made Admiral by then. <laughs> Admiral Kangaroo <laughs> stuck at captain. So, I yeah, I, yeah. What what kind of a loser is stuck at captain for? 50 uh, he years? didn't like to play the pol- politics game. <laughs> I got nothing for that. Um, and Captain America are both like, yeah, I guess we're just never going to get a promotion. <laughs> Captain Marvel's hanging in the wings. <laughs> Pretty sure Captain Kangaroo got busted down for punching superior kangaroo officers. <laughs> Him and As Captain Crunch went on a bender. <laughs> I don't know where to take this, he says. Um, so... I highly doubt this, but has this been a first viewing for any of us? Oh no, no, no. Not, not even, not even a little bit. No, I have. I I used to have it on VHS. I have it on DVD now. Really? Yep. Yeah, it's one of my favorite fantasy type movies. Really? Well, yeah. You, you mentioned that when we started talking about the show. I didn't realize. I mean, I knew you guys liked it, but I didn't know you were that into it. Yeah. Until after we started talking about that. I was never scared by it like some pussies. Um, you were like 30 when you saw it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I I liked it from the beginning. Um, it, I just, I I think the darkness of it appealed to the uh, darkness inside morose side of me. Yeah. The, the evil and the, and then the inner skexies of me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just something about it. I, I really like the world. I really like the, the, the concept of the Gelfling. And I just, Augra was my favorite. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because that character is so great. Yeah, I like. It's it's the end of the world or the beginning. You know. All right, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I think Augra was a lot of fun. Yeah, like like I mean the 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 kind of character that knows everything, but you know, not gonna tell you. <laughs> like, no, you got to figure that shit out on your own. Like Yona. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's a box of crystals. Figure it out yourself. <laughs> Which one is it? Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. Never looked. There's like 40 of them in there. Good luck. <laughs> I never understood how where he's like, well, it's one of these three. How do you know? I think it was just one of the, he, like, he was just kind of feeling it, you know. He, he had a connection with it. No, he and, didn't use the no, magic that, flute. That's what he used the flute to determine from those three. Right. Yeah, I think he just kind of like, you know, felt a vibe from them. He's like, these are the ones. This crystal's vibing just right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I remember seeing this in the theater. I remember first off, the first freak out point was when the emperor disintegrated in front of me. That was. Okay. Yeah, that's a good place to freak out. I don't understand the let's hit the rock with the swords and see who has the bigger spark competition. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just one of those things where the Skeksis are foreign and weird and they have customs that we just don't understand. I think that was just another way of kind of showing that off. Well, I think it was also the limitation of the puppets. 
it's it's hard to have them do a full on battle choreographed fight. So they have to kind of play to that, you know. Yeah, that's true. I do have to say, considering this is the early eighties, the Skeksis were amazingly well puppeted. Puppeted? Is that a right phrase? Puppeteered. Puppeteered. I think it'd be the appropriate. Yeah, I mean, they were really lifelike for the yeah. time. Honestly, I think that the puppeteering for the Skeksis was almost better in the 82 version than in the current one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that, but I don't know that I disagree with the statement. Yeah. Their movement took me out every now and then in the new one, whereas in the movie, I never felt that. Hmm. Well, they stuck pretty close to it. Yeah, I'm just saying, you like, know. I mean... I th- I think it's more of like like a like a, just a difference in puppeteering, honestly. Well, I'm uh, honestly I think it's what it is is when you have Jim Henson say, "I want to have these things. I'm going to call them land striders," and they look kind of like you know he describes it to him, and the and the puppeteers are like, "All right." let's make that <laughs> you know and and then you're like next thing you know you've got a guy in a suit with stilts on his arms and legs or you've got right the, how crazy is that I, I have you seen the um yeah the making of yes it's yeah. amazing the amount of stuff that they did just to get this get this made and what it is is just the honestly i think the best thing about this is the fact that jim henson was still alive when this happened oh for sure yeah, because he could he could go in front of a group and just weave the idea that he had in his head, and everybody would be like, "I am a hundred percent behind that." You want a giant like crab monster thing? I will make that for you. You want this whining um, Skeksis creature? I am a hundred percent behind that also. Mm-hmm. It's. I just think that. I don't. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it, but I'm gonna sound so old when I say it. <laughs> Just say it. Back before they had the option to do digital effects, there was just so much more effort put into making it look good with what they had. It's a it's a different type of creativity. Yeah, and I think they're starting to rediscover that, and they're using a lot of the digital. Uh, effects to enhance rather than replace. Right, and that's a big key, I think, is the enhancing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not just doing it with a computer because you can. Yeah. You're using the computer to make it better. Right, in which case, like, because we can, you get stuff like... World War Z. Right. The fight fight scene in the the pit in the the prequel. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a good example. Yeah, World War Z, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, if you use it to enhance, you wind up with Mad Max. Yeah, it's exactly the example I always think of because Fury Road really did use CG to uh, an awesome effect to just enhance the practical. Oh, yeah. That's what the best thing about Mad Max was is that watching it and you're like, oh, my God, they literally are blowing up these cars. They literally are figuring out a way how to do all these cool things and not kill anybody, which is always done. Uh, Inception was another good use. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what they did in that was practical, like the entire um, set rotated in in the one uh, fight scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh yeah, the whole room rotated for them yeah. to be able to run up the walls and stuff. Well, and even 
even go back to uh, uh, like Lord of the Rings, where they were using perspectives and old camera tricks to make Frodo mm-hmm. look shorter than than Gandalf, even though they were, you know, full size adults. They didn't shrink anybody down or anything. They just forced. Right. They yeah. just hire John Rice Davies so they don't actually have to make a third perspective for dwarf. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's yeah. no, you're totally right. The dude is just that large that that was the only reason they didn't need a third set of everything. That's fantastic. And even even more recently, uh, when we did our uh, Child's Play show, you know, here's a movie where nowadays it's it's commonplace to use CGI over over practical effects because it's less expensive less expensive and sometimes they can get better results. And with child's play, they decided to, to go practical. And I, you know, it's, it's nice to see that. And it's a good example for a movie. That's crap. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick thinks so anyway, but well, the first one, but we're not doing the child's play. show. we already did that. No, we're not. We're doing the dark crystal, but, uh, yeah. And there also is something to be said about it that it's organic. It's kind of like how people compare vinyl to CDs. You know, it's it's got a more organic feel to it. It doesn't it, it's there. It's actually a physical thing. It's a real thing on the screen. So the light that's hitting on it is hitting an actual object. object? It's not gotcha, something yeah. that you're creating in a in a computer. Everything's happening just like it would if there was an actual actor there. And it is easier for an actor to interact with something that is there, obviously, than something that is going to be CGI'd in later. Right. And to look at the right spot. That is something that really takes me out of movies and TV shows and pretty much anything that has CGI in it, is that if there is a character that is CGI and the live actor is supposed to be looking at them, but is you can tell that they're like six inches off. Hmm, I don't know that I've ever noticed that. Well, th- I, I have kids. They watch a lot of weird shit. <laughs> Joel knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm with you. There's just some shows and some things that are like where the the live character is looking at the CGI character and they're just a little bit to the right. In this one, they're like, hey, let's make these suits. Let's make the, uh, what are the, oh, guys, I just lost their name. Skeksis? Gelflings? Skeksis? No. Fizzigig? No. Landstriders? The ones that go, no. God, the, they're the Skeksis and they're the... Mystics. Mystics. The Mystics. Yeah, because they do the... Thing. Yeah, the Trivian yeah. Throat Singers. Right. Yeah. I spent so much time trying to think of what the hell their name was, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well said, then. Talk amongst yourselves. Something about they spent so much time making their cost, their stuff or whatever for the Mystics. No, it's gone. Okay. Yeah. I thought I could help kickstart it. They didn't do that. <laughs> so I think we're in one of those spots where there's really not a lot to say because we all liked it, but we didn't, like, most of us, you know, didn't love it. And there's not enough to hate on, but there's not enough to, like, gush over. Well, I mean, there is the one big famous scene that we haven't talked about yet, the uh the melting of the podling, which I think is the uh main thing that it traumatizes e- even more than the emperor melting away. It's still traumatic. Where his life You're talking about the the yeah, pulling the essence out of him? Yeah, pulling yeah. the essence out of the podling. Yeah. 
It's still kind of traumatic. Yeah. Even though you know it's a puppet, it's still a very effective scene that is a bit beyond what some kids maybe should have seen. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe that's why it never bothered me because I just knew it was a puppet. Well, or that and the fact that you're like, this is what life is. Right. <laughs> you away. I'm just sitting there at 11 years old like, this is preparing me for what life is going to do. This is just yeah. like working a job. Suck my essence out. <laughs> Sucks the essence out of you. Even though that, that scene, looking at it from a technical point of view, they had to make a bunch of different puppets that all looked a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit worse to be be able to create that scene. Yeah. All things considered, it was pretty damn smooth. Why couldn't they just hook it up on the inside with like some kind of vacuum thing that just kind of sucked it in? I don't know. Why couldn't Jim Henson just go to the goddamn doctor for his pneumonia? Well, because he was a... Uh, oh, don't do that. Uh, what's the word? <laughs> yeah, what's the word, Pat? I'm Weirdo. So- Weirdo was the one that was coming to mind. <laughs> I'm so angry. <laughs> he is the only famous person, the only celebrity that I ever really felt anguish over him dying. Because it was my goal when he died to to meet him. And I was just after like... After he was dead? Yes, after he Weird was dead. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You monkey fuck. Um, <laughs> It was a it was a like current actual goal at the moment of his death that he wanted to meet him. Yeah, I was like that would have been a better way to phrase Henson it. Yeah. At one point or another, I am going to meet him, and he is. I want to be mentored by Jim Henson, and he's dead. Fuck. That was just really aggravating to me. That was like your assets getting sucked out. Yeah, it really was. Ah, way to bring it around. I know. Well, one of the other things about this before we do move on was that he had so much content created for this that even before the the, the Age of Resistance was made, there was um, a series of comic books that, that told the rest of the story. There were books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's been multiple, just like a lot of stuff done after the fact to help tell the rest of the story before and after kind of of what happened because he just had this this world that he couldn't all fit into you know one movie which is impressive you know that he had that much love of the 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 content and i think that's probably part of the reason why people like patrick film yeah it really i agree with you on the fact that he he has got such a depth not even a depth on the initial movie of it but the potential for so much lore in this world is what draws me into it. It's like, where did the Skeksis come from? Why do they have that castle? Why do they have this? Why do they have that? What happened with this? There's so, after the end of the dark crystal, the movie, there were so many answers that I wanted that I had to wait 35 freaking years for, <laughs> but I'm not angry. No, now you're satisfied. Hopefully. Hmm? And you can read the, uh, Graphic novels, if you want more content. Mm, I have. And I think there's a comic book series, too. Uh, IDW Publishing, maybe. Uh, That sounds like something they do, yeah. Yeah, it sounds completely like IDW. So, Patrick, do you have anything you want to be angry about? (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, I was afraid watching this, because I haven't watched this in probably, I don't know, 10 years or so. What? 
call yourself a fan. And I was kind of afraid it was going to not be as good, but no, I still enjoyed it very much. Huh. I'm kind of where Patrick was. It'd been, and maybe not 10 years, but it'd been a while since I saw this. And uh, I, I was also a little afraid it wouldn't hold up. Joel, are you with me on this one that you watch it like two or three times a year? No, I've only seen it, I think, maybe once before this. But the kids were really into uh, the Odd Ones Out video on it, where he, you know, as a 19-year-old kid, watched the movie because it freaked him out when he was a kid. And he did a whole 30-minute video about it. So I've seen that numerous times. So I've kind of seen the movie multiple times. But How? I don't... I don't... I've, like I said, I, I I love this movie. I've seen it a lot, but I mean, I don't think there's any movie that I would say I watch two to three times a year. Yeah, not that frequently. Huh. If for me, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I don't think anything else. I mean, I like this, but it's it's definitely not like something that I identify with as like a thing. That's yeah, and like, like you guys know, like Wizard of Oz is one of my favorite movies of all time, but I probably haven't watched it in a good six, eight years. Hmm, he says, stepping backwards slowly. Watch out. I, I I don't know. I watched The Dark Crystal. I have it on DVD. I have it on Blu-ray. Uh, like I said, probably two, three times a year. Hmm. I mean, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Like, if, if I'm flipping channels and I see it, I'll leave it on. But it's not like something that I think about. Oh, I, you know, I should watch The Dark Crystal again. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about the same place. Maybe for some reason or another, it just stuck with me a hell of a lot more. Well, yeah, and like you said, you're a huge uh, Jim Henson fan. I don't think any of us weren't. I mean, we all grew up with Sesame Street and the Muppets, but like, I, I didn't have a special affinity for Henson Workshop stuff. Yeah, I respected him, and I like all the stuff that I've seen of his, but yeah, I yeah, I'm definitely a fan, but I'm not obsessed like Mike is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I won't lie. I am obsessed with Jim Henson and the whole world that he created here. Yeah. And that's yeah. cool. There's a lot of people out there in that same boat. That said, I will. I know there's listeners out there. I will acknowledge there are a lot of truck-sized holes in the uh, script that you can drive through. But at the same time, it, but that's not the point of this movie. No, the point of this movie is. To cre- I mean, this isn't the game. Of, this isn't a Game of Thrones. You know, this isn't supposed to be. You know, political tight. You know, watertight. You know, back alley. This, it, this is just. You know, a, this is good versus evil, and you know, yeah. the ending of you know bad times and good times from then on out, and blah blah blah. It's it's an epic story. You know. And, and, and I agree with you. It is. It's one of those stories. It's just like, I don't say. I a, mean, Princess Bride has plot holes. That doesn't make it a bad movie. No, not at all. But it doesn't have giant tree monster ghosts. Aliens. Doesn't it? We watched a different copy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Andre the Giant, Josh. Yeah. Hmm. He's not a tree monster ghost. He is not a tree monster ghost. No. Anybody want to be that? He will always be a tree monster ghost in my heart. Aww. I think on that note, we should probably go to the break. <laughs> tree monster ghost. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. We will be back in a little bit, and we're going to talk about Dark Crystal Age of Resistance 2019. All right, welcome back. We are back. And we are going to talk about the Dark Crystal, the Dark Age. What? What's the Age of Resistance? Resistance. Age of Resistance. Words. Age of Darkness. (laughs) The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight and Resistance of. (laughs) Dark of Assistance. Yes, the Dark Assistant. Wait, no, wait. Crystal Gale in the Dark, resisting... (laughs) Assistance. What happened to you people? <laughs> we leave for a few minutes. I had a I had a stroke. Yeah, that's I'm I am having problems because Pat had a stroke. Stroke, stroke. Stop mocking me. All right, so this is directed by Louis Leterre. Leterrier. I don't know if that's on Leterrier. Louis Leterrier. Yeah, Americanize that one. Yeah. Louis the Louis the Terrier. Louis, Louis the, dog. the Terrier. <laughs> Louis Letterer. It was directed by a Terrier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're amazing. Those dogs can do anything. They're, they're fantastic. All right. So this is directed by him, who has also directed such things as The Incredible Hulk. Which version? The Ang Lee version? The Edward Norton version. Uh, the Ed Norton version, yes. Well, obviously, he didn't direct the, the Ang Lee version. That was the joke. It was funny to me. Yes. Uh, the Transporter. Don't forget the Transporter. Oh, we did. Brothers Grimsby, which I think yeah. is kind of an underrated comedy. I've never you seen were. it. No? Mark Strong and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. And Patrick, ready? He also did Clash of the Titans. <laughs> oh. Yeah, not that. Was that the one we saw? That was that's the one we saw. We were like, "Why is why is everybody filthy after this gigantic battle?" Except for her, who was completely clean. I thought you guys saw Wrath of the Titans. Did we? I think it was Wrath. Yeah, Wrath. That was Remember the Titans. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that joke. When does the Kraken come? (laughs) I thought it was Terror of Tiny Town. After the car crash. Yes. Okay. Moving on. Lewis the dog directed these 10 episodes. I was going to put writers in there, but there are 10 different writers and I didn't want to get into it. Good, good call. I know. The main voice cast of The Resistance. Taran Egerton as Rian, a Gelfling crystal castle guard of the Stonewood clan. This guy is big deal these days. Right? I know, right? Yeah, I know that name. It's Eggsy from the uh, Kingsman. Yeah, that's going to be the one. Oh, okay, okay. And he just recently played Elton John. Yep. And Rocketman. He said a lot going on. Uh, also, Anya Taylor-Joy as Bria, the youngest Gelfling princess of the Vapra clan. You might know her from The Vich. The Vich. Vich, Vich. I have not seen it, but uh, I've listened to most of it because Sarah was watching it the other day while I was playing video games. What about Playmobil, the movie? That one's not out yet. 
But it's coming. And it's here. Oh, is it out? I don't know. Oh, but uh, she started out with uh, Vampire Academy. Also, Nat- Nathalie, N-A-T-H? Nathalie. Nathalie. I think it's just Nathalie. Emmanuel and Natalie. You just, you just call her Natalie. There's an alternate spelling. Okay. There's an H in there. As Deet. Yeah, she's pretty well known for Game of Thrones, basically. Yeah. Also, moving on, Harris Dickinson as Drin, a member of the Drenchen clan. Uh, he is in Maleficent coming up. Oh, the new one? Hmm. Yeah. And he's also in the uh, Kingsman prequel. Ah, which looks fantastic, as usual. It really does look good. The Kingsman whole, the whole Kingsman thing is fantastic. Something else you introduced me to, Mike. Yes. Yep. Did I? Yeah. Night before Gen Con, uh, we watched the first Kingsman. Man, I don't know if I should be blaming myself or congratulating myself. Give yourself a pat on the back. I'm old. I can't reach back there anymore. <laughs> That's why I call my children to come wipe my butt. Uh, Google. <laughs> Mabatha Raw. Where is your butt exactly? <laughs> well, let's not go down this. <laughs> nope. Oh, we're just going to move right past it. I didn't even want to say the word hole there. <laughs> Elgin. Path. Let's say path. Path. A trail. It's a trail. Um, <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're going down the wrong path. The eldest of the princess sisters of the Vapra clan and one of Bria's sisters. Mm-hmm. Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Uh, you may know her for where she played Tish Jones, the sister of Martha Jones in Doctor Who. Oh, okay. I thought I recognized the uh, name. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised Joel didn't jump totally on that one. Well, I she was only in what an episode that I remember. I know it, it's seen a couple, and there were a couple of them were important ones. Yeah, I remember the face, but not the name. Yeah, that's fair. I think there were a lot of voice actors, a lot of actors that were like, "Oh, hey, Dark Crystal, I'm on that." So I think oh. we're seeing a lot of fa- I I don't want to say fanboys, but people that grew up with this movie and just really want to be involved with it. So Victor Yurid is hup, a podling who fights with a spoon. Some things that he has been in Greg, the bunny where he was a puppeteer. I remember that show. He was yeah, a that puppeteer. Was, that was an all right show. Yeah. He was also a puppeteer in the Weezer music video. Keep fishing. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but between the lions, was a uh, puppety uh, puppety type TV show that my kids watched, and he was also in everything going back to Farscape, Pajanimals. Do you know Pajanimals? He was also I do not know Pajanimals. Nah, I've, it's a it's a kid thing. Men in Black Two, Muppets from Space, and he was a <laughs> actor in Hannah Montana where he played Pancake Buffalo. Mm, sounds delicious. That's fun to say. No, buffalo pancake sounds delicious. Pancake buffalo, I don't know about that. Got run over by a train or something. Yeah, I'm thinking like just a flattened pancake or flattened buffalo. (laughs) You never know until you got it in your mouth. Uh, Shazad Latif. (laughs) Yes, Kylan, the song teller of the Spriton clan, may know him from such things as 
Spooks BBC tel- TV series, Toast of London, which where he plays Clem Fandango, which is a great name. If you have not seen Toast of London, watch it. Created by Arthur Matthews and Stephen Toast. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I've never well, seen it. It's got Matt Berry as the lead. Yeah. It's ridiculous and fantastic at the same time. If you like like black books, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, it sounds like it would be right up my alley. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. It's on Netflix. Hannah John Cannon as Naya, a member of the Drenchen clan, and Gurjan's twin sister, in case you were wondering. Uh, you may know him or her as playing Ornelia in Game of Thrones and Fanal Zandor in Ready Player One and Ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I figured that was the one that was going to catch everybody. So that was a resistance. So all the Gelflings and pod people. Now let's go over the Skeksis. <laughs> yeah. You want somebody else to read it? Not um, at all. All right. <laughs> yep. I got a bottle of rum next to me and I'm ready to go. <laughs> no one could tell. No one can tell at all. Jason Isaacs as the Emperor as Skexo, the arrogant, greedy, iron-fisted, cold leader of the Skeksis and ruler of the planet Thra, who we do see dissolve into dust in the movie. Simon Pegg as a Chamberlain, who, in case you were wondering, his name is Skeksgill. Emperor Chief's advisor and second in line to the throne, a skilled and undermining trickster who plans to become the Emperor's favorite. Joel, give me your best Chamberlain. Hmm. All right. Well, that was all right. Hmm. <laughs> you got to get higher on that. Hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, Patrick's got it. Patrick and Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah. Bendit Wong as the general, as Skeksvar, an aggressive and brutal Skeksis who was most loyal to the emperor. Mark Hamill jumping back into the uh, voice acting bandwagon as a scientist whose full name is Skektek, a once old friend of Agra. The scientist is a maniacal genius who abuses the Dark Crystal for his evil experiments. Keegan-Michael Key as a ritual master who is known as Skekzok, pompous and gruff high priest and of the Ceremony of the Sun. Aquafina? Tell me I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah. Aquafina. That's her name. It's it's the ex- it's, tell me I'm saying it exactly like the bottled water. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the collector Skeksloch, a disease-infected Skeksis who collected tributes from the Geffen clans. You would Are probably we- actually recognize her, even though like you might not know her by that name. She was in the uh, Oceans movie, uh, the uh, all-girl Oceans movie. I forget which number it was. Eight. Sixteen oh, or twenty-five. Yeah. 25. So, yeah. <laughs> Eight. Eight. Really? Ocean's eight. Ocean's twenty five or six to four. <laughs> nice. Jesus Christ. That's why we keep you around. Um <laughs> Harvey Feirstein as you the Gourmet. Feirstein. As Skex Ayuk, the greedy and gluttonous organizer of the Skeksis banquets. Ellis Dinan as the ornamentalist, as Skex Ect. The vain designer of the Skeksis garments. Who knew that the Skeksis had their own garment designer? Well, they are very vain. They are always talking about how beautiful they are. True story. True. Neil 
Stenberg as a scroll keeper, a Skex Auk, the Crystal Castle historian who delights in lying to get his way. Sounds like Chamberlain. Hit it, Pat. <laughs> you made the yummy sound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Some other uh, re- recurring voice cast on here is Eddie Izzard as Katia, a member of the Sifa clan. Helena Bottom Carter as Madura Marin, the All Madura, the leader of the Vapor clan. Katarona Bal- Balif as Tavra. Toby Jones as the librarian. Nice. Justin Demurdy Burns as Dodrin, the member of the Vasper clan who oversees the Order of the Lesser Services. Leanna Headley as Mardra, the rock singer. Alicia Vikander, Natalie Dormer, Mark Strong, and Theo James. There's a. It seems to me like there was tons of people that were like, Dark Crystal, I'm in. Uh, Ralph Innocent as the hunter. Skek Mall is the wildest, fastest, strongest, and most bloodthirsty of the Skeksis with retractable arms. That's weird saying it out loud. <laughs> and Andy Samberg, which is the least, probably not least, but the lowest on the guesses of people that would be involved with the Dark Crystal. I did not even know that was him until I just now. Either. What? Yeah. As Skek yeah. the moody and crazy but good-hearted Skeksis, formerly known as a conqueror, he opposed his fellow Skeksis' decisions and was forced into his self-imposed exile into the Crystal Sea Desert with his mystic counterpart, who is voiced by... Crap, he's in the office. His counterpart? Uh, yeah. Um, just lost Brian, his name. Brian Baumgartner. That's my guess. No. No, that was just a no, guess. Uh, what is what is the best kind of bear? Oh, oh, Rain, <laughs> Rain Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, Rain. Uh, Rain that Wilson. Was Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson was the mystic counterpart. God, that's no wonder that scene was so good. Andy Samberg and Rain Wilson. It's a hell of a cast. Yeah, that whole scene with them was so good. So trivia, trivia. All episode titles are quotes from the original Dark Crystal from 1982. Uh. Yeah. Mm. Mm. According to official lore, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is set during a time on the planet Thra, known as the Age of Division. It is a time period lasting 1,000 years, beginning with the Great Conjunction that split the Urskex and ending with the Great Conjunction, along with Jen and Kira's help that reunited them. The first piece of screen media in the Dark Crystal franchise since the original movie there have been comics produced before and after the events of the first movie, but Age of Resistance marks the franchise's first return to the screen in 37 years. There you go. Holy cats. And Louise Gold is the only puppeteer of a Skeksky to reprise her role. Good on her. Yes. I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, if you're capable, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago, so I guess being dead would be a pretty good excuse. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just saying. That's a, that's a valid one. Hard to argue that one. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the people like Vinny that was waiting for this for a long time. I was very excited when it came out um, and to hear all the announcements and everything and wait for it and all that stuff. So, um, And then to find out how how many people were signing on for it, and then find that you know one at a time, just keep getting all the good news. Oh, they're going to use practical effects; it's not going to be CGI driven. 
oh, they're, you know, they're bringing back, you know, some of the old puppeteers. Oh, they're bringing back, you know, this, that, and the other, and yada, yada. And stills come out and, you know, everything. And it, it was, there was, a you know, a lot of hype in the fantasy community about this. And I, you know, spoilers, I, I think it lived up to it. I was very impressed by their commitment to matching the original visual fidelity, even when, like, seeing the awkward, stiff nature of the puppets must have been hard because they're like, we have the technology to make it look like they're actually moving. But they, they wanted it to look like it was one consistent thing. And I appreciate that creative choice. Which is one of the problems with doing prequels to something because obviously the technology in movie making has gotten better in real time. You know, that's one of the things that's always stuck out to me in, in the prequels in Star Wars is like, why is the technology so much better in the past? Right. Well, because once, well, anyway, we'll get into that. Well, if you watch, yeah, I know, I know the people have retrofit things to make it, you know, make sense. But if you watch the, I watched the documentary that Crystal calls "Making the Dark Crystal: The Age of Resistance," the hour and a half documentary about the making of this, and uh, they showed the original kind of concept they had going, where the there was a company that was like, okay, well, we can make. They were going to leave the Skeksis as puppets and then make the Gelflings CGI. It just it's very off-putting. As much as they're kind of weird to look at anyway, it really threw like it didn't match up very well, and it just felt wrong. Well, it's it's kind of, it's kind of hard to avoid the uncanny the uncanny valley with with something that doesn't have a real life actual counterpart to compare it to. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Well, I highly recommend if you guys like the new series to watch the documentary that's on there because um, you get to see all the actors that are in it, especially like Simon Pegg talk about how much he loves the original and how he was excited to, you know, play the part. Taran Egerton, same thing. You know, he was just genuinely geeked about it. And it's it's neat to see that. Plus, you get to see all the concepts as far as what they were doing um, and all the work that went into it. And it's just insane how much they they, they put into this. Oh, and I got to say, uh, I was so happy to see that with Simon Pegg because uh, I had to immediately go to IMDb to see if it was the original Chamberlain. He did a great job. He did a, he did a yeah, really, really good job. Yeah. Personally, I think everybody, I, I, there was nobody that I thought did a, a stand, like a job that was bad that stood out or anything. That nobody had a performance that took me out of any scene. I really think that, like the the voice acting was stellar in this. Yeah, I, as I was watching it, even even not being a a, a huge fan of it, I, I could see Jim Henson if he was still alive, seeing this and feeling like you know they carried the torch admirably. You know, there there was it it fits together pretty seamlessly. And the one thing that I wanted to mention earlier on was something Pat had said when he was talking about watching it is that uh, the fact that they were using the practical effects and the puppets. But then they were incorporating things in the background, like the magic was what you th- I think specifically referenced to be CGI, and it kind of brought it more to life. It made it it was it was a cool way of tying them together. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how far did each of you guys get? Finished it. Yeah, I watched all ten episodes. Okay, so yeah, I, I was the one who kind of lagged lagged behind. I had not. I probably saw four or five of them. Oh yeah, and I got to finish it as well. So, yeah, I watched all of it in the documentary. I meant to get to the documentary, and I did not. 
I think you'll enjoy it once you get a chance I, to see yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to watch it regardless. But... You better watch it. <laughs> Shut Mike's your face. Kick you in your butt. He's going to wipe <laughs> your butt for you. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the um, expansion of things that they did, I thought was good. The expansion of the lore, talking about how the, the seven clans that existed before, you know, they united. You know, just listen and, and just seeing new creatures and stuff like the the roly poly bugs that they used for wheels. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, and there's a lot of really really cool stylistic choices made throughout this. Like um, when when the fire you know um, shot up throughout throughout all of Thra and like he was able to communicate to all the Gelflings through the fire. That was pretty cool. Like a loudspeaker. But like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like a giant. Uh, intercom system or something giant intercom system exactly to the whole world like a, um a and then giant of course, psychic cb radio <laughs> <laughs> got your ears on good buddy and like um one of my favorite scenes was the the introduction of the spider clan i can't remember their name right now but when they meet when you first meet them how they just form into a like a amorphous blob face and as they talk like the whole thing like moves like a mouth it's mm-hmm. really creepy and cool at the same time yep because if you didn't need something to be terrified about you have it now yep well and and i gotta give him a lot of credit for the design of the hunter yeah he was awesome mm-hmm. when he unveiled he those two arms you know the two extra arms that was a pretty cool shot i was not expecting there to be i mean uh, through the last 34 years i've always seen the Skeksis as villains that never leave their um their castle right and then him jumping through the trees all agile like you're like what the hell yeah and the fact that uh, the other thing that i liked about it is that they're they kept with the parallel to the um god why did i lose her name again mystics the mystics the archer was pretty freaking badass he really was i love the archer yeah, the archer was so much fun that, to watch him play. That scene when Augur's like, I'm not walking any further, and then she just starts getting peppered with arrows. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> She's like, okay. But okay. Just a, yeah. Augur, too. What, what, a, what a great character concept, though, the archer. He just he bows it up and just, poom, just pulls it, doesn't even aim, doesn't anything, just goes right where he wants it to go. <laughs> and I, I bring, now that you bring up Augur, so much more explanation on why and who she actually is. Yeah. You know, it's not like she's just some kind of like wackadoodle person with a with a telescope from the movie, but it's like, holy crap, she's like a goddess. She's almost like planet. a like like this, you know, Thra's Tom Bombadil. Or Yoda. Holy crap, that is like the perfect alignment for her. Thank you. Yeah, good job. <laughs> I, go. I like it. You're done. You can go you can go. That's why I'm the talent. Yes, that's what we say. Well, I watched the original first, and it, it made this made the the series make a lot more sense, and it it felt a bit more cohesive because I was like, okay, well now I understand why that happened, and I understand why that happened. Did it right. feel like one consistent property all the way through? Like it could have been released in that order? I think so. I think that the fact that they the only thing that that maybe threw it off was the effects with some of the, like the magic and things. But other than that, they, because of them doing the original 
puppeteering and everything and sticking with a lot of the same traditional methods that they used back uh, 37 years ago, it, it did. It felt like one cohesive piece. That was because uh, I wished I'd kind of uh, watched it in that sort of order. But, uh, yeah, I was afraid that because uh, sometimes you can tell even if something's supposed to be before the other and not even the technology thing, just something about maybe the storytelling or I don't know. You, you no, can, sometimes you can you tell, can tell. When, when aspects of the story have been retrofit. Yeah, maybe that's it. That's one of the things that I found the most appealing about the story that kept me involved and maybe actually want to finish it is that it did feel like. It, it all went together. It didn't feel like, you know, like when we did the thing show where I, I enjoy the, the old one now more having seen the, the prequel, but it, it felt like two different movies that were in the same universe, but it still had some consistency. This felt cohesive, like from start to finish. That's cool. And that's credit to, you know, everybody that was making it to try and stick with it. And they got as many people back as they could from the original even if they were just consultants to, I mean, even uh, Jim Henson's daughter was, was heavily involved in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they made sure that they were, they were doing it right. Cause it's, I think one of the biggest budgeted Netflix things that's, that's happened yet. That's cool. It's, it's pretty insane. And they did it. I mean, they, they really did a, a, a bang up job. I think. Was it worth the wait for those of you who've been waiting? Yeah. Okay, that's high praise. Yeah, I yeah, I, I I wish I hadn't had to wait so long, but I'm glad it was here, and I'm glad it was as good as it was. I'm glad that I had to wait so long, because I don't think that if let's say if they did a prequel or sequel to the Dark Crystal in late '90s, I don't know if I would have been as enthusiastic, or it would have been as good. You might have ended up with the haunting 1999. Yeah, I, I think he's right. Like the the time and place that we're in now is the time and place where they're starting to realize, hey, practical effects are a thing. We don't mm-hmm. just have to use the computer for everything. And if this had been done in the 90s, it's a very good chance Rian might have been voiced by Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> Jesus. Well, that's, uh, you- that's, a, that's a jump right there. And Jeff Dunham. Uh, I mean, you keep going back to the Star Wars comparison, and I, I think that's a valid comparison because, you know, it's the same kind of thing where you have this property that people are in love with and have been for, for decades, and then you go back and you make the story before that, but you don't really entirely pay attention with the fact that the effects are that much farther ahead, and it kind of feels a little disjointed. Even though the story is all tied together, it still feels like a separate entity. In Star Wars? I mean, I, I don't want to crap on Star Wars. I, I've even come around to liking the prequels, but I, I don't know that I feel like they're one cohesive story. Uh, there's a lot of retrofitting. Yeah, like, I mean, for instance, you know, Anakin building C-3PO made no sense. Right? Well, and the whole Metachlorians thing. But anyway, you know, it's... Yeah. it's, it's Why it are they talking still... into a razor? <clears throat> It was still an attempt to try and do it. And and that's where one of those examples where it didn't it didn't work. But I think here they had enough history and basis in what Henson had originally came up with that they were able to pull it off. And like you said, they because they were paying attention to the fact that practical effects aren't a bad thing. It it worked to our advantage as a viewer. 
I think we've reached a point where the creators that are going around now realize how much these themes and these movies mean to us. And I'm glad it came out now because it seems to me that they were like more in touch with the fact that we love this. We love this property. And or it could be in 20 to 30 years, we're going to be like, oh, my God, what were they thinking? This stuff is such crap. Oh, don't do that. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Plus, nowadays, you know, you don't have to go with the first offer because there's not, you know, three major studios that are bidding for your your story. You now have tons of places you can choose from, like Creepshow, for example. Nick, Greg Nicotero brought the series back and took it to Shudder that kind of got it and created something that, that fits well with the original the original films, not counting part three. And, and it makes a big difference when, you know, people are not just phoning it in and, and taking a paycheck and everything. You can tell that yeah. there was love in this. I think you can probably in some ways, thank Lord of the Rings for that. It's the proof of concept for it's the people love this for a reason. Don't be Mr. Little creative and put your own personal stamp on it. We're not here to see you as an auteur director. We're here to see the original story yeah the story we want to we want to see the story we fell in love with yeah yeah we're not looking for a new twist on an old classic we're looking for something that we loved when we were kids expanding on the world that we have been imagining for the last 34 years yeah and for so long you had the name recognition was like a gateway for a popular director to like leave their own mark and that's why you've got so many bad adaptations all the way up to, I'd say, the mid two thousands, because yeah. uh, Harry yeah. Potter kind of fell into that a little. I'd say they're actually fairly faithful. No, I'm, I'm talking about like each director trying to put their stamp on the movie. Mm, I gotcha. Well, and again, I think that's credit to the fact that there's more choices now for creative places to go to take your film, your idea. And get it done right because it's not like you know there's a Hollywood guy that's like okay you can make it here at MGM but we're gonna cast our people in it and our director and it's no longer your movie anymore and here they were like okay this is your concept we're gonna give you the money go do it and and they kind of were hands off I think yeah well have we exhausted this topic I mean yeah I mean it's <laughs> odd like I feel like I want to say more about it but uh, this is another one of those where we all loved it but don't have a lot of specific analysis for it overall I don't have any many critiques really it, I mean it, it was sometimes it's a little slow but for the most part I mean you know the the cinematography was great the voice acting was great the puppeteering the effects the world the look I mean the soundtrack. Everything was was really well done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you're going to like nitpick some of, some of the things that are nitpicks, you can't you can't do it right without. Like the puppets are stiff, but if they weren't stiff, they wouldn't look authentic. Like they were the same sort of creatures from the first one. If they weren't like just stiff, weird motion creatures, they wouldn't be gelflings. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And if they weren't like a bunch of alcoholic mud rolling things, they wouldn't be pod people. Exactly. What is with the pod people? The pod people are complete id. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that. Um, just looking on IMDb, the rating of the original film is 7.2 out of 10. 
and the new series eight point seven out of ten. I yeah. would say those that's that's fair. That's right. Maybe the original could be like seven point five, seven point eight, but I wouldn't fight for that. Yeah. And and now it's brought to a whole new generation that may go back and see the original and and carry it on thirty seven years from now or whatever, do another one. God, Just every, off the puppets, we're going in. <laughs> every thirty seven years we're in. But uh so do you I I mean, do we want to do thumbs up, thumbs down, or are we just calling it? I mean, I'd say it's pretty obvious. There's yeah, uh, I think it's levels. an eight thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. There's levels of enthusiasm here. Yeah. But well, uh, I don't think anybody is strictly thumbs down. No, no not at all. I am a hundred a hundred percent thumbs up on both these things. Yep. And come on, let's let, give me more lore. I mean, because give me more answers. Oh yeah, Laura was great. Oh shit, yeah, I forgot there was a character named Laura. Um, (laughs) (laughs) In all honesty, I want more information about the world that exists. I just, I just want to dig deeper into the whole thing. Like, where do those guys come from? Yeah. All right. So the Earthskeks come from another planet. And they split into different things. Where do they come from? What planet do they come from that they can do this? There's a lot more that I want to know about this whole thing. Who does the chores in the chore wheel between the two guys? Yeah, you have picked up the heretic. You know, the heretic and the the mystic. Is there a chore chore wheel that I miss? I mean, are we watching? No, I'm just wondering. Like, they're roommates, so there's got to be you know some discussion of who does what chores. Joel, what are we doing next week? (laughs) Yeah, so next week um, we are going to be talking about the Terminator. So we're talking about the Terminator next week, just like Joel said. And if uh, you want to talk to us about our organization or anything else, you can give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep, and if you are looking for more of this crap, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and go on Podchaser and leave us a review. That's all. Mm. Now, you, you're not hitting that high note. Uh, Pat, do yours. Pat's already left. Pat's gone. All right. <laughs> yeah, he got, I mean... I don't it, I think the most disturbing thing about the Chamberlain is that high note that he always hits. Mm. You're already down on your luck, Pat. You don't need to volunteer. <laughs> right? I need somebody to volunteer for me. Exactly. I've been there. I yeah. know. Hey, hey, man, do you got... Oh, shit, you're Pat. Never mind, dude. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about you. I heard about the broken mirror. Have a here's my do you need some change? Yeah, here's my yeah. cup full of change. <laughs> hey, you need some cardboard? I got a markers in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs>